Don't frighten us by telling us the facts, 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 the facts. We must be the great arsenal of democracy. For 91.3 FM WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark in the great state of Delaware, I'm Bill Humphrey and thanks for listening. The following episode was recorded on May 22nd, 2017 and produced by me at my studio in Newton, Massachusetts. This week, Rachel and Jonathan joined me to discuss proposed reforms to U.S. voter registration, U.S. early voting and polling locations, U.S. election methods, U.S. election dates, including weekend voting, and congressional redistricting. Arsenal for Democracy is available for download on Wednesdays at arsenalfordemocracy.com and from iTunes. We air the show in Delaware on 91.3 FM and stream it from WVUD.org on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Follow us on Twitter at AFD Radio or like us on Facebook. You're listening to Arsenal for Democracy. I'm your host, Bill Humphrey. Joining me on the line again this week is Rachel from Boise, Idaho. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me on again. I'm emphasizing Boise because I did get complaints from my own family about uh, <laughs> the that you said that there was no Amtrak service to Idaho. Oh, and yeah. uh, you, I realized that you at the time that you meant there was no Amtrak service to Boise, but there is Amtrak service to a very tiny town that they stop at in the middle of the night in the northern panhandle uh, of Idaho. So, okay. And also in studio with me this week is Jonathan Cohn. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we had a good time this weekend. We went to the uh, Justice uh, Education Justice Massachusetts Rally. Massachusetts Education Justice Alliance. Yes, they had a rally for public education, which was awesome. Tons of you know teachers unionists from the Boston Teachers Union and the Mass Teachers Association and various other groups and uh, allied uh, and, um, unions. Yeah, and uh, Public Higher Education Network of Massachusetts. It was a great event, um, and that's what I like to see, uh, defending our universal public goods, right? Yep. But we are going to be talking this week about uh, voting rights, voter access, uh, those kind of things. How do we vote? When do we vote? Uh, how are we registered to vote? All those sort of good topics. Um, this is sort of building on some of the recent episodes that we've done uh, regarding various bills that are, you know, probably never going to get passed, most likely in this Congress, but they're things that Democrats are working on, sometimes in small numbers, sometimes in quite large numbers. We want to look at what they're working on and, uh, you know, what areas where they aren't going far enough, what areas where we're really happy with how they're, you know, progressing on things. Um, and uh, it's also great to have Rachel back on for this one because uh, uh, eagle eared listeners, uh, we'll recall that uh, the November, I believe it was second episode, um, this was the final episode that we recorded before the election, uh, was all about Rachel telling us about like disenfranchisement and voter suppression that was happening all over the country uh, in the run-up to the November election in states like hmm, North Carolina and Ohio uh, and places like that, uh, and certainly should not be uh, understated here, Wisconsin. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, Jonathan, but I have been quite frustrated in recent weeks by all the and months by all the discussion of whether or not Russia potentially, you know, intervened in the election or maybe you know tried to cyber hack the voter registration rolls, things like that. When in fact we know that a we don't have any evidence yet for that actually having happened or had any impact one way or the other, and we probably won't because it probably didn't happen. But B, we definitely have evidence that the Republicans did exactly that stuff, but all through the guise of legality. Yeah, because that's that's one thing that, like, insofar as Trump has ties with Russia, it's mainly because he's a corrupt oligarch, and Russia has a lot of corrupt oligarchs, and they probably have a bunch, and particularly in the real states sector. So, like, yeah, they're probably friends, and yeah, Putin hated Hillary Clinton. That doesn't mean that, that there was a direct 
a kind of a direct, measurable, provable impact on election results in the same way as you can actually measure the results of what happens from voter suppression tactics. And that's one thing that we like to talk about how there was a tendency of a number of Democrats to paint Trump as unique, but like the people who are really terrible in terms of rigging the elections were the Republican officials in Republican-dominated states who took steps to reduce the electorate and, and just to make it through various hurdles. Some flagrantly unconstitutional, some ruled, like some that court, courts ruled in favor of that should be unconstitutional. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I keep on returning to the, the stuff, which will definitely tie into what we're going to be talking about later on this episode uh, regarding North Carolina, where, you know, aside from all of the redistricting shenanigans that were going mm -hmm. on, they also just tried to throw out a ton of voter registrations, basically mm -hmm. probably knowing that the court was going to force them to put those back in. But the idea was, you know, throw them out suddenly right before early voting. So people's plans got thrown off, especially mm -hmm. African-American voters, and then get it if it was going to get reinstated it would get reinstated at the end of early voting so all of those you know souls to the polls operations and things like that would get totally thrown off in those communities and people might not be able to vote uh, on election day or maybe they wouldn't even hear the word in time that they had been reinstated um, but we've also got lots of other examples I, I know I'm sure I mentioned it on the episode that Rachel was on in November before the election uh, regarding like how crazily complicated the Wisconsin uh, legislation was um, basically each county was issuing the strict voter IDs and the county offices could set totally arbitrarily like how easily or difficult you it was to get those IDs. Um, we have pretty significant evidence that the very narrow margin, which ended up yeah. helping to decide not only Wisconsin, but the overall presidential election, the, the margins in places like Madison and Milwaukee of people who were denied the ability yeah. to vote because of not being able to get their ID or whatever, that that ended up deciding the state election and therefore the presidency. Um, you know, the, the example that I talked about, I think back then, uh, before, right before the election was this, there was one county that had some setup where, um, they said that you could only get the strict voter ID on the fifth Wednesday of every month, which there's not actually a fifth Wednesday of most months. It's like, you know, basically once a quarter, I think, uh, if you're, if you're lucky. Uh, and I, I referred to it as kind of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where, you know, that in order to, you know, find out about a, a public notice from your local government, you had to go, you know, to the planning office and go downstairs into the basement and go past the door that says, beware of the tiger, you know, and look on the backside of that door. Right. It's a very, it's like, they're, they're setting up these absurd hurdles. Um, there was actually today, uh, if folks want to look this up from NPR, um, they were doing a longer segment on Trump's uh, quote unquote election integrity commission that's basically staffing up with all these horrible people like Chris Kobash and mm -hmm. you know folks from Kansas and places like that who have done horrible things with the voter registration rolls, um, you know, purging voters just in in you know totally unjustifiably. But anyway, there was a specific segment that Ari Berman reported that was really speaking to mm -hmm. me. Um, this guy, Eddie Lee Holloway Jr., who was trying to get one of those IDs uh, in Milwaukee, um, but he had, you know, he had been uh, born in Illinois or moved from Illinois, and, you know, he had an Illinois ID, but they wouldn't accept that, and then they wouldn't accept his birth certificate because there was a clerical error, so he had to, like, go to Illinois uh, to get some new paperwork that would fix that and then go back to, you know, Wisconsin, and, and you know, he ended up spending hundreds of dollars of his own money, uh, it said seven trips to two different states, and and uh, after all of that, he still couldn't get a voter ID to be able to vote in Wisconsin. That's the kind of stuff that the Republicans actually push. Please stop talking about Russia. Yeah, and, and it's something that they do pretty much every state that they have full control. Because I know that when Republicans gained full control in New Hampshire and Iowa uh, after this past election, one of the first things that they did was to try to start making it more difficult to vote. I know that don't know if it's gotten to the governor's desk yet in New Hampshire, but the New Hampshire Republicans in the legislature wanted to change the residency requirements for voting in order to make it more difficult for college students to be able to vote. But going to the, going to the point particularly about voter ID laws is that it's very clear that it's a poll tax, that if you have to make any expenditure to register to vote, that's a poll tax. Right, and sometimes they'll always say like, oh, we, we waive the fee or whatever, but obviously if you're having to spend hundreds of dollars to go get various paperwork out of state and things like that, then, yeah. you know, that it doesn't matter if they waive the fee. And it's also something that can lead, that one of the goals and things in life should always be to reduce opportunities for human error. 
And voter ID laws are clearly not designed for that. They're designed to create many, many roadblocks simply due to human error. All right. So let's get into these bills. I have a list that I have assembled uh, of, you know, close to 10 bills uh, in in Congress. Um, Mostly this session, there's one bill we're going to talk about that has not been introduced so far this session as far as we could find. Um, Why don't we start uh, with the the fifth one on my list here, just because we've been talking about voter ID. Um, So this is H.R. 607, Voter Access Protection Act of 2017. Uh, Congressman Keith Ellison of Minneapolis, uh, which was, you know, he's been very good about, you know, boosting turnout year Mm -hmm. over year over year in in his area, whether or not there's other contested races happening at the higher levels. Uh, But overall, Minnesota came very close to actually voting for Trump. It was it was a very narrow uh, outcome unexpectedly. Um, the summary description here to prohibit election officials from requiring individuals to provide photo identification as a condition of obtaining or casting a ballot in an election for federal office or registering to vote in elections for federal office and for other purposes. Unfortunately, and this is true of some of the bills, like I said, some of these bills have a lot of co-sponsors. There's a lot of people working on them. Some of them really do not. This is one of those ones that has one co-sponsor. Who is that? Um, let me look here. But I just I think that's kind of telling that it's Earl Blumenauer from uh, okay. Oregon. So good guy. As far as I know, he's generally been on the right side of a lot of issues for a very long time. Um, but basically not trade, but must the issue here is like, why? Why is this not being backed up? And as far as I could tell, I didn't see like a rival bill or something like that that was, you know, sucking up the oxygen on this. And it just, you know, I mean, this is a point that Jonathan, I think, makes you know week after week here, which is that. Uh, you know, Republicans constantly go after and target the mm-hmm. opposition's power bases and, you know, and protect their own. And Democrats just don't seem to do anything about, nope. you know, helping their their own folks. Um, Rachel, did you have any thoughts on uh, on that H.R. Uh, 607 Voter Access Protection Act by Keith Ellison? Uh, it just seems like a no brainer. Uh, like Jonathan said, it's, it's a poll tax uh, requiring I.D. to vote. Um I have to speak up, though, for Idaho. We do have uh, total Republican control, and I think we have since about the mid-90s, I want to say. And uh, for some reason, we have surprisingly liberal voting laws. Um, We do have a very, very weak um, photo ID law. Um, You can – I think you can even get a full ballot as long as as you um, sign an affidavit claiming you are who you are. So it's, it's very toothless in Idaho, but it does exist. And uh, I think this is a good idea to get rid of all of those conditions and, and bars to voting because it's been proven they it doesn't prevent voter fraud, which is virtually non-existent. And it just creates more obstacles in the way of voting. I was just going to note that my my go-to line when it comes to voter fraud is it's diff- like difficult enough to get people to vote legally. <laughs> exactly. Like who is, who is voting multiple times yeah. when it's hard enough to get them to vote? The first time. Yeah, like, it's just simply not happening. But even without seeing any of the, the, the studies that show it's not happening, if you've ever worked a campaign, you know it's not, ha- <laughs> you know it's not happening. I was going to note on Idaho, I don't know, maybe this is unfair slander of Idaho, but uh, I suspect that maybe there's the uh, antipathy toward... Um, uh, being in government databases and things like that and, you know, having IDs. Uh, uh, that may be part of the reason why full Republican control has not led to that. Uh, I think also there's usually a racial component to yeah. any of these things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, Idaho uh, notably has some uh, objections to diversity. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, there's, um, you know, and that's, I, that's not, I'm trying to not make a gratuitous slam against the whole state of Idaho. It's just that there's a bunch of those like... Well, I was picking a fight with the state of Idaho. <laughs> There's a bunch of those like neo-Nazi, like white suburban colonies that are, you know, in Idaho, as I recall. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, those I think that that may uh, help account for why there's not a a lot of effort going toward, um, you know, restricting that. Also, uh, you know, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's like a ton of people coming from out of state uh, for university purposes, you know, whereas like North Carolina or, you know, New Hampshire, um, Iowa, you know, Wisconsin for sure. Yeah. Um, Michigan too, definitely Mm -hmm. like an Ohio, like some of these places have huge, you know, out of state uh, university populations that are also usually targeted with these laws. Right. So that could be it. And in terms of Idaho's fairly liberal uh, voting laws, I was actually surprised earlier today when I learned that Idaho is one of the few states that has election day registration. Yeah, we do. Um, And also 
Another surprisingly liberal thing is we have a bipartisan uh, redistricting committee. And uh, I think in 2010, a judge actually um, made them go back to the drawing board because it, they, it, I think there have to be a ton of conditions that have to be met and they just weren't meeting them. So it, it, there's a lot of, um, uh, emphasis put, put on fairness in, in redistricting. So that, that seems to be somewhat one of the least egregious things about living in Idaho. Well, we'll get back to redistricting, uh, later, but I do want to talk now about, uh, same day registration while we're in the process of talking about registration and you just brought that up. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that would be Senate bill 360, uh, or HR 1044, Same Day Registration Act, sponsored by Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota and, again, Congressman Keith Ellison of Minnesota. Uh, description is to amend the Help America Vote Act of 2002 to require states to provide for same-day registration. I'm also troubled by this because, again, this seems to be the bill on same-day registration. It should be a slam dunk. Why isn't everyone co-sponsoring this? Uh, the Senate bill has nine co-sponsors, so at least that's something, I guess. Um, you know, and it's kind of a, a diverse collection of people like, uh, you know, we got a uh, Merkley and Gillibrand and Menendez, but we've also got some folks like Tester and, uh, you know, Hirono, that sort of thing. Uh, one co-sponsor on the House bill, though, again, and it's Earl Blumenauer. Uh, so <laughs> what like is our, you know, are they punishing Keith Ellison because of the DNC chair race? Like, what's the deal there that they're not co-sponsoring these obvious bills? That's the- that's a. Yeah. I, I would I would question if his staff actually attempting to get co-sponsors, because that that would just be the one thing that like when you see various bills that there are some bills where it's very clear that there's a concerted push to get co-sponsors for for it, and then other cases where there's n- just not. I mean, he has co-sponsored a lot of different stuff, but like this is. This has a Senate counterpart. There are more sponsors on that one. Yeah, than in the larger and then, house. And then this is, again, this is a huge, huge issue. Yeah. It, it's something that, like, personally, what I, I would like to see, which is what I think Democrats should have just already proposed, is an omnibus, like, voting rights package that would combine some various of the bills that we discussed today and say that this is that they're, like, election integrity package or whatever, or the, like, every vote counts package. Throw in abolishing the Electoral College into it do that at, at all the types of voting reforms and call it the Every Vote Counts Act of 2017. I wonder if Congress is allowed to, like, change stuff with the Electoral College. I, that yeah. has not occurred to me. There's a lot of this stuff, which will, some of it will come up here, but there's things where you're like, oh, yeah, that must be in the Constitution and require an amendment. Oh, yeah, and then you're just like, and but... then you're just like, wait, no, some of this stuff doesn't actually require an amendment. You just, like, do a workaround on it or Although... whatever. Yeah. Although the thing that you can do is if you can't actually get rid of it by act of Congress, you create a commission just so you can talk about how bad it is. You yeah, create a actually, commission yeah. to study moving past the Electoral College system. I did not include it in this list, but there is a bill, I think, by one of the Congress people from California, and she had sponsored, or maybe New York, uh, she had sponsored a, a whole, it was like a, establish an election something commission like rights commission or something like that that would study like a list of 10 things you know which included things like same day registration Mm -hmm. automatic registration all these different things um but it wasn't actually mandating anything so i didn't include it in the list um because it seemed kind of meaningless to me but yeah that that is certainly something to like at least put it on the radar because if you get the commission then you can have press releases about what the commission is finding and you can talk about like particularly have your electoral college commission so that when it's the commission comes out with something you can start badgering it uh but rachel talking about same day registration rachel any comments on the same day registration bill well it's so surprising that there are so many varied registration deadlines and i think most famously the trump kids weren't allowed to vote for in the primary because they've missed the the registration deadline so i think if we have a blanket policy such a same day registration that is that would be ideal it gets rid of all that confusion and everybody's allowed to to participate and then what yeah what, what's striking is how few states actually have it so the, i think not long ago it was only wisconsin for a while it was, and, so it was minnesota wisconsin and maine yeah were the first three in the 1970s right to do it so it's not even like yeah you, you could do it on 1970s technology um, and then since then, uh, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Hawaii, Idaho, Iowa, Maryland, Montana, New Hampshire, North Carolina, and Wyoming have over the past few decades. And the one thing that when I was looking up which states have it, because I know like Wisconsin co- co- came to mind immediately, as did New Hampshire. And 
Maine, Minnesota, and Wisconsin have had the longest as well as New Hampshire tend to have the highest turnout in the country. That they had, they're the states, I think, no, the, the, that group of four that I mentioned, I think, believe all had over 70% turnout in this past, past election. And granted, of course, in the state like Wisconsin, there are going to be issues in terms of who turns out because of who's being prevented from voting. But even, like, they still have high turnout, like, compared to other states. Studies have even shown that same-day registration does have a positive impact on turnout. Um, I was reading recently a report done by the government the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, that they had a lit review of various, if you want to find this, you would just Google GAO, like, election from June 2016. It came out last summer. Uh, and they were looking at the impact that various uh, kind of election administration reforms uh, have on voter turnout. And uh, same-day registration, This pretty much all studies showed that it had a positive one, positive effect. And it's from looking at the the... 25 studies that they were chronicling i'd say on average it's about a four percent increase in turnout that it helps bring now some of the items on the list of legislation uh would be directly in conflict with each other so to some extent you can't actually throw all of these things in together you know on some omnibus thing um but they're different potential you know forking pathways so we've been talking about same day registration uh let's kick that up a notch there's obviously a way better approach to dealing with voter registration, and that is automatic voter registration. Um, that seems to have disappeared out of the session for some reason this year. Yeah. There, There is one bill, uh, H.R. 1398, that's not a mandate for anything. It just says that like it would provide incentives and resources and that kind of thing uh, to promote automatic voter mm-hmm. registration and a few other things, but it's not like a requirement that you mm-hmm. do that. Um, but you said, Jonathan, there, there was a bill last session. Yeah, there was something last session on that, and that it's so they're not. It's not actually mutually that you need both for different reasons of same of same day registration, automatic registration, automatic registration. Change like so. Like a state like Massachusetts has like we have like the motor voter law that allows you to opt in to registering. Uh, that's that's federally mandated. Oh, it's federally, yeah. So okay. they back in the I think it was ninety two. I think if I remember, it's a, that ballpark. Yeah. Um, they they did say federally was, and I think it was bipartisan. You know, back in the yeah. day when you had some Republicans that were actually interested in helping people vote and participate in the yeah. system. Um, you know that it was an uh, uh, you know that they they passed this to to combine it sort of with the DMV process, but yeah. as you said, it's, so it's, it's not automatic. Though. Exactly. And so that like, if you're going to the, the DMV, it's currently an opt in process. And what automatic registration legislation does is it makes it opt out so that like in any place where you're interfacing with an agency that collects citizenship data, some States just limit it to the DMV because there's an existing process. Others use others, but kind of expand it to other agencies as well. But it's where that data is being collected. You make sure to do it in a secure fashion, and then you get added to the voter rolls. And, and I Oregon, guess so you're saying that there's some gaps in that even, so that's where same-day registration Well, because not everybody would in. have the ID, okay. like, right? Because the, the main source, I presume, for getting those new registry, uh, kind of registrations with automatic voter registration is going to be through the DMV. Not everybody will have an ID, so you will have those. But the one thing I've noted that in Oregon, which is the state that passed kind of of, of most note, which I think had be, kind of bega- the state that kind of began the national discussion about automatic registration, is it significantly increased the number of new registries over mm-hmm. the course of 2016. That it was about, I believe it was in the 2012 election cycle, they would add about 4,000 people to the rolls each month, and it was 15,000 new people being added to the rolls each month last year. Right. I think that was a Governor Kate Brown initiative. I, yes. I don't remember if it was when she was Secretary of State of Oregon or whether she was governor at that point, but or she oversaw the the transition process yeah. basically and i know that from when they were looking at how many of the people who were newly registered did actually vote that i think 43 percent of those i believe the number was 43 so it's lower than the state state average but it's still a lot more than the people who wouldn't have voted wouldn't have voted and but what, what i found fascinating is that there was a there was a strong contrast between those who returned the slip asking to be registered with a party and those who stayed unenrolled that because what happens is you get registered you get you get mailed saying that one do you want to be registered with a party or do you want to not be registered at all so they give you that option uh, and registering with a party with oregon is kind of important because they do have closed primaries so if you want to participate in the closed primary you do have to register with a the party they need to fix that but that's a separate issue yeah yeah 
But 85% of the people who chose to register in a party did vote. That's interesting. Yeah. But then it was only like 30% of those who, who just stayed unaffiliated voted. And I thought that was a kind of a really fascinating dynamic. But even still, that 30% is higher than the zero it would have been otherwise. So H.R. 2694 was introduced in the last Congress. This was in June 2015. Representative David Cicilline of Rhode Island introduced this, the Automatic Voter Registration Act. Um, and interestingly, like to contrast with some of the bills we've been talking about, right? So that uh, same day registration bill by Ellison, this session has one co-sponsor. This had 108 co-sponsors. So that's also very puzzling as to why it dropped off the radar. Um, you know, maybe it's going to get introduced in June again. Maybe there's a, I don't know, there could be like, maybe they introduce it on, you know, National Voter Appreciation <laughs> Day or whatever. You know, that sometimes happens. Yeah. Um, but it, like, hopefully we'll see that one come back up this session just because that is a really important bill. Uh, and it also answers in the summary here. I didn't have it in front of me before. 1993. So I was only off by okay. one year, but the National Voter Registration Act, uh, which is commonly known as Motor Voter, uh, deals with motor vehicle authorities. Mm -hmm. um, and this basically would say that, you know, as long as you meet the eligibility requirements and you're not already registered, mm -hmm. they, you know, register you in. Um, Rachel, I'm assuming that automatic voter registration is something you would like to see. Do you think that that would have an impact in your area? I think it would just just due to it's harder to opt out of something that that's automatically uh, given to you. So I think if something like that was offered in Idaho, I think it would really help. And I think this would work really well in concert with same day registration because this bill is only for federal elections held within the state. However, if you're moving within the state, same day registration would help you vote in those local elections that are held at the same time. So I think they, they would work really well in concert together. I guess, yeah, the, the, the ongoing concern is going to be that point that, that Jonathan raised of like, there's always going to be some segment of the population that quote unquote gets registered automatically and that just never acts on it. And, you know, who knows how, but like, I will say though, it is much easier to reach those people if they're, they're in registered. a list and they're registered, exactly. right? You know, and one yeah. thing that's fascinating on that, that in the United, so the United States does stand out because we have much lower turnout than other countries. However, the turnout in the U.S. among those who are registered is on par with like the highest European countries. Because looking at this was um, the Pew Research Center had, had something out just about a week ago. Uh, looking at how like the U.S. trails most developed countries and voter turnout, they had one. There's one graph in that article looking at uh, census data, kind of census data on voter turnout. And for 2016, it has 86.8 percent of registered voters in the U.S. did vote, and it's it's kind of consistent in in largely in the mid 80s, going back to the 70s in the U.S. And and uh, and uh, not Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, which had you know was very early on the same day registration yeah. type stuff and making it easier to register. They consistently, generally, have like the highest, highest in the country. Exactly. Yeah. So that when you have people registered, they vote. It's much and, it, and yet. So we, despite the fact that, in, say, according to the census data here, that 86.8 percent of registered voters voted only 55. What was it of only 61% of voting age citizens voted. So that you end up having this huge gap that's pretty consistent in the U.S. between the voter turn, kind of the voter turnout of people who could be voting and, and like the registered population. And that any steps that you can take to make it easier to register would help with that. Yeah. And we're obviously like talking a lot about the registration aspect here because of this point, which is that if you can get these people on a list, you may be able to contact them and start to mobilize them. You could potentially envision a scenario, especially at a local race mm -hmm. where like, you know, the establishment candidates just go for the people who always vote and you build your almost your whole campaign around you know, getting these people to come out for some particular issue that you care about, that they care about, that they're normally not being responded to, or, you know, maybe you're, uh, you know, a representative of a minority community or something like that. Any of these things getting the, when they're already on the list and you don't have to spend time getting them mm -hmm. registered, uh, that just makes your job so much easier. And you can like mail them information about the election, things like that. Just yeah. real basic stuff. Um, we're going to go to a break now from ArsenalForDemocracy.com and WVUD. When we return, we're going to be talking about where we vote, when we vote, and how we vote uh, once people are registered to vote. Uh, there's a whole bunch of great, uh, or interesting at least, bills uh, on that. So please stick around. We'll be right back in just a moment. You're still listening to Arsenal for Democracy. Still on the line with me is Rachel in Idaho, and in studio with me is Jonathan Cohn. 
Uh, we've been talking so far about voter registration this hour and various Democratic bills in the U.S. Congress to uh, amend how we deal with voter registration. Uh, but we want to talk about a number of other election-related issues, uh, as I put it, uh, when, where, and how we vote once we're registered. Um, so there's, uh, obviously we've talked previously about early voting. That's a huge issue that came up a lot in some of these bills. Um, there was, for example, the streamlined and improved methods at polling locations and early voting act of 2017 known as the simple act. That's HR 787 from Steve Cohen in Tennessee. Good backronym game. <laughs> and this is to promote early voting in elections for federal office and to prevent unreasonable waiting times for voters at polling places used in such elections and for other purposes. Again, some of these I'm looking mostly at the summary and I don't know if this is like necessarily the best way of dealing with it or whatever because I'm not an expert in this, but these are things that I'm raising because they address issues that I feel are not really being addressed. Uh, and I will say that this is another thing that has been driving me up the wall, just like the discussions of, you know, whether or not Russia cyber hacked the voter rolls or whatever is, um, you know, it's this issue of like, we've known obviously since 2000, but for sure since 2004, we had people, you know, lined up around the block and multiple times around mm -hmm. the block for hours on end in Ohio in key precincts where students were voting or where African-Americans were voting. Mm -hmm. Ohio ends up being the state that decides the election. You know, some people stuck it out. A lot of people went home. Who knows whether that would have, you know, changed the outcome of the election and elected John Kerry as president. But the fact that the Democrats almost dropped it after that, basically, that is the last we ever heard of it, really. Mm -hmm. You know, but the problem didn't go away. In fact, it got worse. This is at least a bill that has like 30 co-sponsors. So it is on some people's radars. And that is better than some of these other bills we've been talking about. But why didn't we fix these long, long, long lines that are being intentionally like we know we can look very closely and generally almost without fail. It's Republicans saying we're going to take away polling places. That's what they did in North Carolina. We're going to take away the number of machines in key precincts for Democrats. Maricopa County in the primaries. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. That, well, and so that uh, that I assume was Republicans. Um, mm -hmm. But then to give a counterexample, the one place that I know that Democrats completely did this oh. awful thing was Rhode Island. Okay. During the Democratic primary, oh, yeah. the Democratic legislature uh, in the run up. To yeah. That, um, they basically shifted around a whole bunch of like precinct polling places in minority areas like Latino areas, things like that, um, and took away a whole bunch of voting machines uh, or, you know, didn't replace voting machines that were broken. And that's obviously partly a funding issue and things like that. That's a whole other thing that we'll talk about a bit. But like, there are occasionally that's like basically a bunch of Italian American and Irish American old white guy legislators yeah. took away polling access for Latino areas of Rhode Island with a rapidly growing Latino population. And that's very troubling. But generally, it's a Republican is, phenomenon. This is a slightly different issue. But it's also reminds me of how in New York, how they don't all have the same polling hours. That although it makes sense that you would want to have longer polling hours in New York City, you should have the longer polling hours everywhere just because your goal is to make it like the thing with New York City is that it's not that you would need longer polling hours. You would need more polling locations, whereas there, you should have the same long hours for everywhere to just make it easy for anybody to get there during that time of day. And where you have more people, you have more locations. Rachel, where you are in Idaho, has there been a problem to your knowledge of, uh, you know, long lines at polling places or things like that? As far as I know, no. Like we have a huge uh, uh, selection of of polling places in my area because I well I do live in a very white affluent area in Boise so uh, I haven't really heard about this happening in Idaho I wouldn't be surprised if people tried it in the future but I I, I don't think it, it's been a driving factor for for Idaho Republicans because it they're not fighting to keep control they they're pretty entrenched so I think they don't really want to rock the boat at this point because it would probably just piss people off and then make people vote against them. All five people in your precinct, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, exactly. I mean, that's been a huge issue in, in Massachusetts, though, is you got those low voter precincts where there's no wait time in Boston and then a yeah. high voter precinct mm -hmm. where there is a really that's long wait. Good. And then, like, I can walk in in Newton and vote immediately, but somebody might have to wait out the door, you know, in some of those precincts yeah, in Boston. Like it, Boston. So that's Democrats, not Republicans. Yeah, you, know, you know, and that's actually... Uh, 
the the re-precinct of, of Boston is a long-standing issue that the legislature doesn't do anything on here because it does require action from the approximately 80% Democratic state legislature that they're, they're not really doing anything because there are certain precincts in Boston that are just massive and that really should be cut up. No, one... talk to me about early voting. Okay, yeah. So one thing that's... The point that I was... Uh, as I noted before, when I was looking at this report from the GAO uh, that was looking at various election administration reforms and what impact that they have on turnout. And what's really interesting is how early voting does not have a demonstrable like effect on turnout. Like there are some studies that show, showed increases it, some studies that actually showed it ends up being lower, some that show it really has no neg- has no significant effect, which it's still good insofar as it makes it more convenient for people. But it's not something like in the way that automatic voter registration and an early and and same day registration increased the number of people who could be voting. Early voting is just mainly helping people who are already going to vote manage their time better. Now, that said, taking away early voting hours likely, I, I would think, would reduce turnout just because if it's something that's in place you're messing with the assumed schedules of people who are who, are, who tend to be voting and they, they tend to vote at a certain time. Like when, when North Carolina was doing this to change the early voting schedules, particularly because they wanted to prevent the kind of souls to the polls operations that a lot of black churches do. When you take something like that away, it can reduce turnout because people are used to voting as such. But adding it doesn't automatically, doesn't have the same strong impact as others. But it could very well... I don't know if this is if there have been studies on this. I would be interested to see what impact early voting has on vote on on t- the time of line, time in the line. I think that's you know definitely key is that if you can reduce the time by spreading out that same yeah. level of turnout over a longer period, that's better. It just for, makes it yeah. it just makes it p- easier for people in general. One thing that was striking, I was looking at uh, twenty twelve uh, kind of analysis of wait times, and that Florida had an average wait time of thirty nine minutes. That's a lot. Which is crazy. That the average for across the country, and there's going to be a huge racial, like particularly for, let's say, black and Latino parts of Florida would be even higher because that there's nationally that the average wait time for kind of that a white person or just for like heavily white areas was 12 minutes uh, for Hispanic, 19 and for black, 23. So one think that that particularly if you're an African-American resident of Florida, you might have had a wait time of up to an hour. That would be entirely possible. Uh, does uh, Rachel, does Idaho have early voting? Yeah, and uh, this presidential election was the first time I, I used early voting. I, I think it was just such a contentious um, election cycle that it didn't reduce the wait time at all. In fact, I bet if I had voted on election day, it probably would have been a, a shorter waiting time just because I think, like you said, it, it didn't really increase voter turnout. I think it just, I think it pushed uh, people to to vote earlier, but I don't think it it really uh, benefited waiting times at all. The one other thing that's almost to say tangentially related to early voting hasn't been well studied, but has shown increases in turnout is out of precinct voting, which is something that early voting does tend to be a form of out of precinct voting because you'll have sites. Oh, right. The, the site mm-hmm. is not located where you are. Yeah, exactly, they have like to, the vote right. centers. They have to centrally locate it, like either at City Hall or I know in the Deep South with early voting places, a lot of times it gets put at like a Walmart or something like that, you know. Yeah. Which, and that, that's weird, but. <laughs> that apparently that having that opportunity of being able to vote out of your own precinct does have, it hasn't been well studied because I don't think it's as widespread. And I think that would make sense, prob- particularly because if people are able, if they don't live near where they were, that close to where they were. And if you can vote where, by where you work. Or if you put it at the mall and people can go vote exactly. while they're doing errands. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, there's a lot we could dive into as well. Um, certainly like Massachusetts, they were testing it last year. There was mm-hmm. also, I think, a lot of lines at a lot of early voting places. Yeah, were, you know, they're... I voted early similarly to just like show my support for early voting because mm-hmm. I believe it should <laughs> exist, you know, and, and uh, but I'm guessing there was a similar phenomenon to like what Rachel was just describing in, uh, in Idaho. A lot more we could talk about on that, but we do need to keep uh, working through this list here. 
Um, why don't we talk about uh, the first item that was that I had in the list, HR 1907, which is the Election Infrastructure and Security Promotion Act of 2017 from Hank Johnson of Georgia to direct the Secretary of Homeland Security to conduct research and development to mitigate the consequences of threats to voting systems and to amend the current law to require that the voting systems used in elections for federal office comply with national standards developed by the National Institute of Standards and Technology for Operational Security and Ballot Verification to establish programs to promote research in innovative voting systems, technologies, and for other purposes. I My initial take on this, I haven't looked through all the details, my take on this bill is that uh, half of it is kind of overly hand-wringing, you know, fears of cyber hacking from the cosmonauts or whatever um, they should have found a way to backronym no putin <laughs> sure yeah that, this is the no putin bill basically uh, but the other half of that is is stuff that needed to be done there's been a lot of problems of uh underfunding of resources especially like basically there was a surge of funding for voting machines and things like that after the yeah. 2000 election but then they had a whole bunch of problems with the voting machines in 2004 and like lack of paper trails and things like that and many of them are very, um, very old. right and now they haven't you know it's been more than 10 years mm-hmm. quite a bit more than 10 years at this point and they haven't done anything to replace a lot of these machines uh, or if the machines were never replaced at the time they haven't been replaced um, and so there is a component here that's just like we need to have verifiable mm-hmm. up to standard voting machines that can't be hacked that kind of thing and while i don't think there's probably been any hacking so far uh, of you know vote tallies or whatever it, only on tv i guess you know but but it's it's good to be yeah, working better to on be this. safe yeah. than sorry um uh, yeah go ahead oh there's no what i've always found fascinating is how the voting machines can differ so much from state to state yeah, Which, that's that's certainly I would prefer that they have a much more standardized system, although partly uh, you run into problems of like each state has its own way of doing a lot of different things. Right. Some states have uh, ranked ballots now. Yeah. Um, you know, some states have referendums and some states have no referendums like Delaware doesn't have any yeah. kind of referendum procedure. So there's never going to be a, you know, a referendum question on that. So maybe there is an argument to do it at the state level, but I would prefer that there be a standardized system mm-hmm. for all these. Uh, and just again, to keep our, our notes here going on like you know relative levels of support uh there are uh i i believe uh you know uh 34 co-sponsors along with uh, on this hank johnson bill uh, a lot of folks i will note not exclusively but a fair number of folks uh southern democrats there aren't very many left there so it's mm-hmm. probably most of them um but they uh seem to find this a priority i think not surprisingly mm-hmm. um you know trying to make sure that our our voting technology is less shady than it currently is uh any comments uh, remaining comments on uh, hr 1907 before we move on um i just want to say that idaho still uses we use like a scantron system filling in yeah. bubbles and and i i like that because there is a paper trail i can i can appreciate that for for like recounts or auditing purposes i think that kind of keeps things honest yeah, and I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that bill also probably has some stuff on like assistive technology for disabled voters of various different kinds of disabilities. Um, that's certainly very important. I remember I had an interesting conversation with a voter when I was running last year, um, and she was blind, and she was just telling me about like kind of the whole procedures and processes for like mm-hmm. if you're voting when you're blind, and and there's all sorts of different you know disabilities that people are voting with um, that need to be you know accounted for and and provided for. Yeah. The next item that I wanted to talk about uh, gets into a different kind of voting, and this is one that definitely conflicts with pretty much a lot of these other bills, uh, and that is the Universal Right to Vote by Mail Act of 2017 uh, to amend the Help America Vote Act of 2002 to allow all eligible voters to vote by mail uh, in federal elections, which presumably would then filter down to all the other elections. That's why they generally structure it this way. Um, and that is H.R. 946 from Susan Davis of California. Uh, California is a state where, uh, and th- I-, I will note that that her bill is a little bit different than some states, right? So there's, uh, I think it's Oregon, Washington, and now Colorado, and Oregon was the one that kicked this off. Mm-hmm. They have 100% voting by mail. Like, you have to vote by mail. There's no, You can't go... You can't like there's no Tuesday elections or whatever, right? They're not going in on Tuesday to vote. You can go physically turn your thing in, yeah. you know, at a bin or whatever, yeah. but you're mm-hmm. not like going lining up on, you know, there's no there's no option. Whereas California, where Susan Davis is from, uh, you can uh, for a while it was only, I think, in rural areas, but now it's pretty much everywhere. You can either mail in your ballot 
or, you know, go drop it off. Or I think you can still actually vote on the day, I'm pretty sure. So this is her one is structured to just give you the right to vote by mail, but not to mandate it. Um, Jonathan? You know, I was just noting the fact that I, I just remember from when calling into Oregon last year in the primary that you can vote at the, like, like a city hall or, like, other places that you will. But it's like because, a drop-off. It's yeah. like returning so a like, library book. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a different thing. But the, the case is, like, for instance, that if you didn't get sent the ballot, if you, you thought you were registered and you weren't, you didn't get the ballot in the mail, that you need to have a place where you can go to get it. And as well, this is something that would be, that's not mutually exclusive at all with something of same-day registration. Because if you want to be able to allow people to, to vote up until the day of. So you would still want to be ha- have an option of people to register that day of and vote that day of. Yeah, so so hers is a little bit more flexible than like the Oregon model, but um, also worth noting, zero co-sponsors. So this is not really like, nobody has really taken her up on this so far at least uh, in terms of like making this a priority. And I know there's a lot of mixed feelings on that. Some people just like the pageantry of election day or whatever, but some people just also, I know campaigns kind of find it difficult sometimes to like figure out how to make sure that their people vote on time ahead of whatever and not too far ahead that they haven't had a chance to contact them, you know, that kind of thing. So vote by mail is something that has measure. going back to the study in it for there are measurable increases in turnout. It's about 7% from looking at that report that I, from the GAO mentioned. I am somebody that does like the pageantry of election day. I do like going to vote in the physical polls. My sister does vote by mail in New Jersey where it's an option and it's, it's yeah. convenient and for I, her. I think what this is, and maybe she shouldn't call it universal right to vote by mail act because it may be kind of throwing off some people or, or being too scary of a title. What this basically is because it's, it's not the Oregon model is basically no, no excuse, excuse absentee, absentee voting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think makes sense. Um, do, what do they have in Idaho? Anything on the absentee ballot front that you know of? Uh, are people yeah. allowed to mail in at this point? Yeah. Yeah. We have no excuse absentee voting. Um, we recently had some like local elections for our greater Boise auditorium district and they were sending out mailers encouraging people to get absentee ballots. And I probably should have because I ended up not voting in that tiny, tiny race, How which, which makes you. me care. Yeah. I, and apparently turnout was about 5%. So I think, um, encouraging that as much as possible, I could have been that 0.1% that would help, help turn out. So, um, but yeah, but yeah. yeah, no, ex- no excuse absentee balloting. All right. We have <laughs> two more bills to talk about and we have very, very, very limited time left in this, uh, episode. Here's the big one that amazingly has a ton of sponsors, like a lot, a lot of co-sponsors and some pretty mainstream people, which I was surprised. And this is the one where I was like, man, that must be in the Constitution. No, it turns out it's not. This is H.R. 1094 Weekend Voting Act, Representative Louise McIntosh Slaughter of New York, to change the date for regularly scheduled general elections for federal office to the first Saturday and Sunday after the first Friday in November in every even-numbered year. This would move the vaunted Tuesday elections that our nation bizarrely conducts. I don't think any other countries do it that way, but maybe there's a few small ones. Anyway... And it would change it so election day becomes election days, plural. And it is two days, Saturday and Sunday, after the first Friday in November. What do we think about that? I'm amazed how many co-sponsors it has. But it seems good to me. Like, there are some states that do, you know, especially primaries that conduct them on weekends and things like that. And it just seems like, don't do it on a weekday. Come on now. So Mm -hmm. what what do we think about this? It makes it so that you don't have to take election. That if you're somebody with, like, a a nine to five kind of job, you don't have to take a day off to volunteer for election day. And particularly mm-hmm. because like the GOTV weekend that we currently have on campaigns is Saturday, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Probably the more important priority is that people don't have to take time off from work or potentially miss work to vote, to vote. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. But that, same thing. <laughs> no, that does matter more than people's yeah, GOTV in, like, schedules. It's, the, yeah. it's the same. It's part of the same issue of making it so that you're not that you're limiting what it conflicts with and that it's important as well to make sure that it's both a Saturday and a Sunday just given with in terms for religious reasons that you should not have it on just one or the other also two days better than one day Rachel your thoughts on weekend voting yeah it's a slam dunk I'm surprised we've we seem to hold this Tuesday up to some sacred position, but it's really not. So I swear to God, I, I thought it was it. in the Constitution. <laughs> it's not. It's not. No. No. It's yeah. Just, no. It, 
forget when they eventually established it, but it had to deal with like the, the market day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, but yeah, no, it's great. Apparently, like they basically the Congress can set the date of House elections, mm-hmm. and that just determines everything else, really. Yeah. Um, uh, and and that also just relates to the fact that you're having it both days in terms of one thing that has a demonstrable increase in the turnout is extending the number of hours you can vote. So if you extend it a whole nother day, like a whole extra day, that's going to help increase turnout. Uh, okay, and finally, I think this will probably, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll return to it in another, you know, big ideas segment or something on Arsenal for Democracy. The final bill here is uh, H.R. 1102 from Representative Lofgren of Silicon Valley, uh, California, the Redistricting Reform Act of 2017 to require states to conduct congressional redistricting through independent commissions and for other purposes. Uh, so the basic premise of this, which has 53 co-sponsors, is that every state, not just some states, but every state would have to do their redistricting for congressional elections, which then probably filters down to other things, hopefully. They have to do it through an independent commission, not the legislature's doing it or anything like that. Voters have generally thought this was like hugely popular, um, you know, when it was put on ballot questions like, should we have an independent nonpartisan commission? Uh, I haven't looked at the details of the bill. Usually these things require it to be like, you know, an emphasis on, you know, contiguous districting and compact districting, which are all good things. Regardless of how it shakes out in terms of party control, it's just better if people are represented by a representative that represents a coherent area that actually exists in a reality space, not on a bizarre, you know, you know, gerrymandering drawing of a salamander across the map, right? Um, and we just were recording this today on May 22nd. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court affirmed, including Clarence Thomas, uh, that the uh, complete joke of a district that they had done in North Carolina was just wildly racist. Yeah, two of them. Uh, and first, two of them, but yeah, the uh, yeah and that they had to throw that map out, which had it had already been thrown out, but that that was affirmed. Um, so redistricting independent commissions. Uh, Rachel, your closing thoughts. Very much pro. <laughs> All right, and... it, it just it just makes sense. Like I I think John Oliver did a pretty good extended segment, and he showed these arbitrary lines like across highways and stuff. So it it just doesn't make sense to have these weird funky district lines. And Jonathan, you have one sentence to react. <laughs> <laughs> that currently having party control really of either party is an incumbent protection racket. And that you should that you should take it out of that process, as well as it eliminates the extreme gerrymanders that we that that we do see today, and that actually have biased congressional elections heavily toward Republicans. All right. Well, this was a huge marathon session to cover a lot of different bills dealing with uh, voter registration and where and how and when we vote. Um, again, uh, you can look up all of these on congress.gov to get more details. There are other bills as well, um, but these are the ones that I chose to focus on this week. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for being here with all these statistics. Thanks for having me on. And Rachel, thank you for joining us on the line. Thank you. Always a pleasure. That's all the time we have this week. Tweet us your comments at AFD Radio or email afdradio at gmail.com. The show is available for download from arsenalfordemocracy.com on Wednesdays. You can also hear it on the air in Delaware from 91.3 FM WVUD, WVUD HD1, and WVUD HD2 Newark every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. You can get additional commentary at arsenalfordemocracy.com daily, as well as links to articles discussed today. From my studio in Newton, Massachusetts, I'm Bill Humphrey, and I approve this message. Good night. Thank you.